want to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the New Testament, to the book of Galatians. Uh, we're still in chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 10 this morning. So if you're in the Blue Pew Bible, then you can turn to page 972. 972. So again, the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 10. Now, I want to remind you as we open up this, this book, as we open up the book of Galatians, uh, I want to remind you what we're talking about as we go through this book. What's at the heart of it? You'll see the word over and over again. And, and so this is, this is the topic that we're centering ourselves upon. Look for it today in today's text. It's the gospel. Uh, and the gospel, as you may know, it, it means simply good news. But it's not just talking about any good news. It's very particular in what it is speaking about. It's talking about the good news, the good news of Scripture that all of Scripture points to. Now, I I don't know for each of you what you've got going on in your life right now, what challenges, troubles, good things. uh, But what I do know is that this is what you need. And this is what I need. You need this word, this gospel. Because it is food for the hungry, and it is drink for the thirsty. Uh, What I want to do is start off this morning just with a real simple outline of the book of Galatians. We've been in it for a couple of weeks now. I haven't given an outline, uh, and and it's very helpful for reading through, for going through a book. So if you want to jot it down, you can. It's very simple. There are six chapters in Galatians. Uh, The first two chapters are really answering this question, why must you believe this gospel? It's very particular. Why must you believe this gospel? It's authenticating the gospel. Uh, Chapters 3 and 4. What must you believe about the gospel? That's where we're going to get into talking about justification by faith alone. What must you believe about the gospel? Chapters 5 and 6. How therefore must you live? Uh, you could you could give it give it under these three headings, chapters one and two. You could say are authentication. Remember that's how, uh, uh, why must you believe this gospel? Chapters three and four. You could call theology. This is what we need to believe. Uh, what must we believe about the gospel? And then finally, you could the last one, uh, chapters five and six. You could say ethics. This is how we are to live our lives on this basis, the basis of this gospel. How, therefore, must we live? And so as we turn to our passage this morning, uh, we're in that section, why must we believe this gospel? And that, that this passage this morning is right at the, the heart of that. Now, this is not only a question that was back then for, for Paul in his day and for this people and this, uh, these churches, but we all need an answer to this question. Every one of us should want to know this as well. Why should I believe this gospel, especially if it's going to cost me so much? You know, earlier this week, I gave a book out of the library, a couple of books, they were the same book, to a couple of people that are, that are here. Uh, and in that book that I passed out to them, Uh, to read the opening paragraphs of that book make this statement that the gospel 
of Scripture, the gospel that's here, the gospel that Paul is talking about, that it's free. It's completely free. There's nothing, in fact, that you can do to earn any part of it. It's completely free. But then it also goes on to make the statement, which is the name of the book, yet it will cost you everything. Think about that for a moment. It's absolutely free, yet it will cost you everything. And so if that is the gospel of the Bible, which it is, then we're going we're gonna to want to know, we're going to ask the question, well, why should I believe this gospel rather than maybe another gospel that wouldn't cost me nearly as much? And that's a great question to ask. That's what we're looking to address this morning. Now, the way that Paul addresses it in this passage is by going to history. He kind of gives us a history lesson. Uh, There have been, as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, and we'll continue to see this, in these churches in Galatia, there have been teachers that are teaching the gospel. But they've changed it a little bit so that it's not really the same gospel. And so we call them false teachers. I hesitate to even say that uh, because we think about false teachers as being those who are way out there. Uh, they're, they're the ones that are labeled. We see the big label when we, we see them. False teacher. Uh, but no, what we're talking about here is, is often very subtle. And it happens today in spades uh, where the gospel is tweaked, the gospel is changed. A, a, a little bit. And so uh, let's set aside that title for a while and, and let's just say those who are not quite teaching the gospel, and in doing so, they've completely missed it. Uh, and therefore, that becomes bad news for those who follow that. And so, what Paul does today is he's going to, in order to authenticate the gospel that he taught, which is the true gospel, he, he takes us back through a little bit of history in in his life and how he received the gospel, what that looked like. And and I'll tell you something that's convicting, is that as we look at Paul, and this must have been convicting for them, what we see, if you look at the before, which we can see Paul before, and after the gospel comes home to him, we see a man who's been transformed by grace. Grace. We see how radically it's changed him. That everything that previously drove him and made him act in a particular way, all of that is removed, and he is a completely different man. Still has the same gifts. Still has zeal for the Lord, which he had before, but it's of a completely different uh, nature. Um, And so that helps us, because as we see that radical change in Paul, We learn about the gospel itself, and we learn what it'll do for you, learn what it'll do for me. So again, I'm going to read this passage. Uh, It begins in verse 10, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, goes through the end of the chapter. This This is Paul speaking. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. 
For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we're not left alone as we take up this very important topic of the gospel. And we seek to understand it, yes, but not only that, we seek to to see for ourselves that this is the true gospel, that this is, in fact, from you. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us with that process. Convict us inside. Lord, we, we know that when we believe that something is true and we follow it, Uh, then everything else falls into place. Uh, We continue forward with it. Uh, But when we hesitate and when we doubt uh, that we are left in a place of unknowing, and so I pray that you would bring certainty to us, that you would bring understanding when it comes to your word and your gospel. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, you may or may not have ever heard of a group that's, that, that's been called the Jesus Seminar. <clears throat> this is a group that, that first formed in 1985. It was made up of about 50 critical scholars, all of them with very impressive degrees, uh, mostly in religion and, and philosophy. They, they represented some of the top universities in, in this country. Uh, and, and so they, together with about a hundred, as I understand it, a hundred laymen, laywomen, uh, who are known as deep thinkers, who were scholars themselves, they made up this group that was called the Jesus Seminar. It was an impressive group. And their primary task that they set about was to collectively determine what can be known historically to be historically true about Jesus. And here was the process they, that they followed. They did start with the Bible as, as what they considered a, a valuable historical document. 
Now, they didn't consider the Bible all to be true. In fact, they, they believed that certain parts of the Bible could not be true, but they were focused on Jesus. And so the task that they set out for themselves was to determine, when it came to Jesus, uh, what parts were historically true and what parts were not historically true. And the best, the best way to determine this, they decided, was to use and rely upon the great learning, the great scholarship that they had in the group that they had put together. So here, here's how they did that. At their meetings, they would come together and they would pass out colored beads uh, to everyone. Then a, a, a passage of Scripture would be read, which usually contained the words of Jesus. So they would read this, and then they would individually, based upon the study that they had done, uh, they would take be these beads and vote on whether those words were historically accurate, they believed them to be, or not. Uh, and so, with their beads, red meant almost certainly. These are, these are the words of Jesus. Pink, probably his words. Then they had gray, and then there was black. These are almost certainly not the words of Jesus. We can discard them. They were, they were added later by someone else. Now, the result of all of their work was a particular view of this historical man, Jesus. Uh, and so what they determined was that he was an itinerant Jewish sage. Itinerant just means he, he went around place to place preaching. Yes. Uh, Jewish sage, a, a man of great wisdom, who preached a gospel of liberation from injustice. You know, the world of, of their day in the first century, they suffered from political and social injustices, the Roman government and their local government, the, the religious elite, they controlled things and they often unjustly ruled over the people. Does this sound familiar? Uh, and so Jesus, they determined, was this sage who stood against the, the power brokers of the day, who he, he tore down the, the, the teaching, the, the quote-unquote wisdom of those who were in power, and he introduced a new world order in which there was a concept of God. Uh, God was a loving Father, uh, but in which Jesus himself, although he, he performed no true miracles, and he, he did not, he certainly did not die as a substitute for sinners, nor did he rise from the dead, yet he influenced many people with his teaching. He was an important man. He was a wise man. He was an effective teacher. But there was nothing supernatural about him. He was not God. But what did he do? He, he impacted the world with his teaching, with his scholarly wisdom, much like those who had gathered together in this seminar or how they saw themselves. They said, it's the wisdom of man that's needed to truly influence and to change the world, and this Jesus has done that. So do you get the picture there? What were they doing? What was their primary, even if it was an unspoken, goal? It was to say that, that Jesus and his, his source 
his impact, his abilities, his power, his uh, knowledge, none of it was from God, but it was from man. Let me ask you, what does that do to the Jesus of the Bible? What does that do to the Jesus that we have today or throughout history for those who have professed faith in Jesus, followed Jesus? What what does that do? It takes away everything, doesn't it? A Jesus who is merely man has what? He's got no power to forgive. He's got no authority, no true authority over death at all. He can never regenerate, change a person inside so that one can see and understand the things of God. He can't change our will, can't move us an iota closer to God. You know, a Jesus who is from man can't at all be the deliverer that we need, can't be the Messiah that we must have. He is, in the final analysis, he's of absolutely no benefit to us at all. You know what the Jesus Seminar was doing? Began in 1985. They've continued on. Uh, they were disbanded. Uh, I, I gather when they're, uh, the one who began died. Um, but what were they doing? Well, they were doing something that was nothing new. There were people, there were teachers in Paul's day who were doing basically the same thing. It may not have been as obvious, but they were doing the same type of thing. And that's what Paul is dealing with in the passage that we're looking at this morning. Now, Paul has said here that the gospel, the gospel that he preached, the one and only true gospel, we we looked at that last week, there's only one, uh, is not man's gospel. If you look at verse uh, 11, he said, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Now, I want you to hear that and think through for a moment what that means. The gospel is not man's gospel. Now, we can hear about what the, what the Jesus Seminar folks did, and, and I think we can kind of make fun of what they did. I, I, you really think about it. Gathering a group of, even if they're, they've got all kinds of degrees, highly acclaimed scholars, but gathering them in a room, giving them colored beads to vote as, as the words of Jesus are, are read for them to make judgment upon what is true and what is not true, you know, first off, that's silly. There are so many things to consider there that weren't being considered, but also it's terribly arrogant. How would they be the ones who are able to stand above Scripture? And even with all of their learning, claim an authority over Scripture and over God. And so, yes, I think we can sort of make fun of that. We can, we can say it's bogus. But I will say that I believe there are many ways that, ways that we may not even think about in which we are capable of exactly the same type of thing. And so I'll just say as we go through this that we have to be very careful that we are capable of changing even the emphasis of 
the gospel, the emphasis of what Jesus said, what he spoke, and coming up with another gospel, one that is from man and not from God. You think about what the Jesus Seminar was doing. They were casting their vote in order to change the gospel into another gospel, which was more in line with what they desired inside. And I just say we've got to be very careful because we are very capable of desiring something inside. Let's say if our number one desire is not to have our sin taken care of, but it's something else. We are very capable of changing the emphasis, changing the words, adding something, maybe something small it seems, subtracting something so that we begin to form a different gospel, begin to follow, begin to follow leaders who are proclaiming a different gospel. And so Paul wants us to know that the gospel that we find in Scripture is the gospel that he proclaimed, and it's not man's gospel. And so Paul is, is working through a process here of authenticating this gospel, as he says this is not man's gospel. And as he does that, he, he gives us some characteristics, some ways for discerning the true gospel so that we don't follow something that is not really the gospel, something that is man's gospel. Uh, and, and I'm just going to give us two. He says, number one, the gospel is not the teaching of man. And secondly, he says the gospel is the revelation of God, not the teaching of man. It is the revelation of God. So, so first, the gospel is not the teaching of man. Paul says here, uh, as we've noted, my gospel is not man's gospel. And so in, in saying that, he's indicating here that he's going to identify for us some characteristics of, of a gospel that is from man so that we can carefully avoid it. Uh, because if it's ultimately from man, what do we know? It has no power to save. And so Paul starts off here by saying that man's gospel is one that is delivered in such a way that it's aimed or targeted to please man. Notice in verse 10, uh, Paul says, Am I now seeking the approval of man? Now, he's saying here, look at me, look at my ministry. Am I now seeking in the things that I do, in the way that I go about it, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a ser servant of Christ. You know, he's, he's saying here it's either one or the other. Either I'm trying to please man or I'm trying to please God. But I can't be doing both at the same time. You know, the word that's, that's used here, that's translated as please, it, it means to, to win over or to make an appeal to. Uh, listen, you know, we read this earlier out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, right at the beginning of that chapter. Uh, listen to, to what, what I read earlier where Paul describes how he shared the gospel. Listen to this. He said, And when I came to you, brothers, 
And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He's not saying that's the only thing He talked about. But He is saying that's at the center, that's at the heart, that being the gospel. And then He says this, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Notice the absence in what he's saying, the absence of, of all the things that we might expect to be there in order to win over man. Instead, he talks about weakness, fear, much trembling. He's saying here that his primary goal was not to make an appeal. It wasn't just to win over. Now, think about it. If, if in my preaching, if my primary goal was to win over, period, what might I be tempted to do? I can think of a couple of things. I might be tempted to kind of create a, a, a mood and appeal to the emotion. Maybe we could turn the lights down. Some we could have, at certain points, we could have some music playing in, in the background. We could even have a little bit of uh, incense that, that kind of helped to, to set the, the mode, the, the mood. And then also, I would be tempted to share with you things that, that would help to, to win over. And so I might talk about a gospel that would just, it, it would meet your needs, whatever your needs are. Now, everybody would like a little bit more money, and so we could talk about that. It'll make you uh, wealthier or maybe make you take care of health issues or uh, this, this will meet that need that you've been, you've been longing for. What's that to do? That is in order to create an appeal, to draw a person in. Uh, all of those things. On the other hand, uh, this is a message intended to appeal and to try to win over man. But that's not at the heart of it. That's not the central uh, uh, need or requirement. Uh, a gospel like that that I was referring to is received by man, and it's handcrafted to appeal to man. But here's what Paul says uh, back in our, our chapter about his receipt of the gospel. He says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk about the revelation part in a moment. Uh, Paul goes on to explain further in verse 16, and he says that he, talking about God, was pleased to reveal his Son to me. Uh, and so, You've got Paul here who, and it, well, he goes on in verse 16 uh, to say, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Now, Paul had seen the risen Christ. And so he didn't need an evangelistic crusade. He didn't need to be with the greatest influencers of the day. This wasn't, he says, something that was taught to him by any man. 
He didn't believe on the basis of uh, just a, a very charismatic message that was given or, or powerful delivery. His conversion didn't come because he heard from the greatest Christian athletes of the day. Yet having heard the message, he didn't have a need to use his amazing giftedness, and we know that Paul was amazingly gifted, but to promote himself in the public eye. Instead, unlike his prior ministry, and he does talk about his prior ministry here, he says uh, back in verse 14, when I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my people. And he was, he was zealous, and he was using his talents. It was all done in the public eye. And yet, now that he has seen the risen Christ, what does he do? He, he doesn't have a, a need to go out and be in the public eye and, and, and make this a performance. But in verse 17 it says, but I went away into Arabia. I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you have this, but I passed out to those who were here and wanted one, a, a copy of the timeline, a timeline that, that goes through Scripture and helps us to understand with Paul's ministry uh, what it was like. And in, in that timeline, it says this, his going out into Arabia, this was into the desert. He went there, it seems, for three years. Uh, we see that in verse 18. Uh, and then he ended up going back, eventually, after going down to Jerusalem, he ended up going back to where he grew up, to Cilicia. The specific city was, uh, was um, I forget it right now, uh, but he went back to uh, his, his birthplace. Um, and uh, for 10 years, if we look at the timeline, he was there and we don't know what he was doing during this time. No one knows. We're not given that in Scripture. Uh, and so he wasn't promoting himself. He wasn't about lifting up his ministry. You know, there's a danger that we face uh, today. And it's with that. Uh, we have so many sources that are available to us today. It's easier than ever before, I think, uh, to find sources for the gospel, uh, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube channel or an online ministry that might center around uh, one or two pastors somewhere that focus on a particular viewpoint. And the message may seem to be so much like the gospel, but we're called here to be very careful. Because there may be a change in emphasis. There may be an addition there. There may be a subtraction. There may be a particular platform that's being emphasized. And it's usually accompanied by, by great charisma and zeal and, and all designed to be in the public eye so that it makes an appeal. But the question that you and I have to ask honestly is what is it that's at the heart of that appeal? What's at the very heart of it? And is it, is it this? You know, Paul said back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. He's talking about the gospel here. What God has prepared 
for those who love Him. That's the key there. Apart from God, you have nothing. Now, the Jesus Seminar, they worked diligently to produce a Jesus and a gospel that removed God. And we are very capable of having and following the same thing, even though most are are not going to be that blatant. But what we need is what God has prepared for those who love Him. And it's this. Now, I'm going to read out of our, our bulletin. This, this was our, uh, our assurance of pardon. This is Titus uh, chapter 3. Listen to these words. This is this gospel. This is what God has prepared for those who love Him. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. And notice how He saved us. He says, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of what we did, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, not by our own doing, but by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's it. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's what God has has prepared and has given to us. And notice the emphasis of this, of this gospel, this true gospel, that we were enslaved to sin. We were helpless. But God, in His mercy and grace, came to us and He rescued us in Jesus Christ. That is the true gospel. That's the gospel that Paul preached. And it's not that which is the teaching of men, but it is that which is, and this is our second point, the revelation of God. That which is revealed to us by God. Now this is, this is something totally different. Uh, this is not man's gospel. This is God opening our eyes so that we can now see and understand the things that are freely given to Him. Look, look again at what Paul says back in our passage in, in verses 11 and 12. He said, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice, it wasn't taught. It was revealed. It didn't come through the normal path of, of learning. And how do we learn? We learn there are building blocks that are, that are set. We learn some of the basics, and then we build upon those blocks. There's a process that we go through, and therefore we're able to know more and more complex topics and, and to fit things together. And we do that in the Bible. But that's not how God comes to us first. He reveals Himself to us. It's not taught by man, it's revealed by God. Now, in, you, in some universities, there, there is a course that's given on 
the Christian religion. Uh, and in these places where it's, it's taught often, it, it teaches the concepts behind the Christian religion. It, it teaches facts. And it teaches some of the things that we see here. And it teaches some of the history uh, of the church. And, and people study. And people take tests. Maybe that's how you've approached Christ in the past. That Christ and, and, and Christianity, it's something to be learned. Uh, it's something I, I need to understand better. And then, then I'll have it. Then I'll grasp it. Well, what Paul says here is it's not taught by any man. It's revealed. He's saying unless God opens your eyes to see, to truly see, you may know facts, you may know figures, but you'll never learn Christ. You'll never know Christ. The true gospel, the true faith is not something that's taught by man. Paul said, I received it as a revelation from Jesus Christ. And then he says again in verse 16, He who is pleased to reveal His Son to me. And what's Paul talking about here? We, in the communicants class this morning, just so happened that our, our topic was this. It was Scripture, and, and we talked about Revelation. And, and the way we talked about it, even though there wasn't a curtain in the room, but we talked about, think about a, a curtain that is in front of you, and it's, it's a thick curtain. You can't see through it. And you know that on the other side of that curtain, there's something that's very valuable to you, or perhaps there's something very valuable to you, and maybe you begin to guess, and we played that guessing game in the communicants class this morning. Maybe you begin to guess, well, maybe it's sort of like this, because I know something about what it's like, and you, you guess and guess and guess, but finally, you're not able to know what's behind that curtain. Why? Because the curtain hasn't been lifted. You haven't been given access. That's what Revelation is all about. Uh, here, Paul speaks about by, by God's grace, He called Him to Himself and He revealed things to Him. Look at verses uh, 15 and 16. Paul says, But he, when He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me, was pleased to remove the curtain so that I could see, so that I could understand, so that I could begin to put things together. Uh, for Paul, it was in order that he might preach Him among the Gentiles. And for Paul, it did include, if you, if you know the history of Paul, uh, Acts chapter 9, it included his encounter with a risen Christ on the right road to Damascus. But what he's really speaking about here when he speaks about opening of eyes to be able to see, he's speaking spiritually. It's nothing that is taught. It's God pulling back the curtain so that we're able to see, so that we're able to understand. And all of a sudden, we know why it's so important. You know, this is what Paul was speaking about back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you, if you would, if you... Got it there. Turn there for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is where he speaks about it very clearly. This is his intent in this passage. And so if you, if you get there, look with me at verse 7. Paul's been speaking about the gospel. And in verse 7, he describes it 
in this way. He says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. He's describing here the curtain, which God used to obscure the things of salvation. The truth of the gospel, it was hidden. But look down at verse 10. He says, these things, remember, these are the things, what God has prepared for those who love Him. He says, these things God has revealed to us through His Spirit. And he goes on to say, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. He's talking about how the Spirit reveals and opens our eyes to be able to to see. He's, He's talking about how this takes place And it's this that must take place in order for us to truly see God. This is the Holy Spirit opening the eyes, illuminating the words of Scripture so that all of a sudden, things that weren't before, they were just facts, but now they become personal. They apply to me. They apply to me in the very problems of life, the difficulties, the challenges that I'm going through. They're not taught but the curtain is removed, it's pulled back, and we hear it proclaimed. We, have it, we hear it uh, as it is revealed to us, our eyes open to see. What is that that we hear? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. On my behalf, body broken, blood spilled, and I see, I see what I was never able to see before, that I was enslaved to sin miserable, unable to move forward with God, unable to have any true hope beyond this life. And then I began to see the Savior held out to me. Now, 2 Corinthians 2.14, if you jump down there, Paul says, the natural person. He's saying the person that hasn't experienced this, the person that hasn't turned to Christ by faith, the person who still has the veil over his eyes, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And then he goes on to talk about the spiritual person. There's the natural person. But then there's the spiritual person who is able to see these things of God. And so you might ask, well, what am I to do? What am I to do if that's not me? And if I haven't come to the point of being able to see, maybe you remember our our call to confession of sin. You can look back at our bulletin if you want. This was out of Isaiah 55. Hear these words again. This is what every person must do. This is called faith. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. What do we need? We need pardon. How do we get it? By faith by looking to Christ, by trusting in Him, by following Him every day of our lives. Remember that uh, song? Hear it often. Probably the most well-known Christian song, Amazing Grace. The words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was 
blind. But now I see. Now I see. That's, that's the process. This gospel that we're talking about, it's not a gospel from man. It is a gospel from God. It's only from God. And it's God who must pull back the curtain. And what does He do? He, he doesn't take us through a seminary course. He doesn't take us through uh, a great learning and require certain uh, initials to be put after our name. He says, trust in me and I will move back the curtain and I will open your eyes and you will see. And you will, you, you will see that this is my word and this is true. And you will begin to follow because you can't do anything else at that point. Because you belong to me and you desire to. There's one gospel. And that one gospel is the gospel that Paul preached. And it is a gospel that's not from man. It is a gospel that's from God. And it's a gospel that he gives to us by revelation. And that revelation is his word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the good gifts that you give. Uh, Lord, thank you that you have ordained it to be this way. That even though we are lost in our sin and trespasses, even though we are blind in this world, to be able to see the truth, to be able to see what we really need, that you have given and provided the Word that then opens our minds. And through the Word, we come to see and to know the Savior. We come to see and to know uh, the One who has died for us. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to have eyes that are ready to see, that are able to see, that continue to see. Help us to cling to your word, knowing that this is your revelation of who you are. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.